everybody, and welcome to episode 146 and a half of the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, a podcast all about board games. Uh, Quinn's here with an episode that's just a little bit different. We're having to interrupt our regular schedule of having a good old natter about new games we've played, because I do have some bad news. This site's own Tom Brewster, the boy wonder, has come down with COVID-19. Um, the important thing is that Tom is okay, but after one of his sisters bought the virus back from school, it is currently ricocheting around his parents' house like the multi-ball bonus on a pinball table. Uh, Tom does appear to be on the mend, but as you might have heard with COVID, he's just healing very slowly. Um, Tom did manage to play a board game with the team this week over the internet using Tabletop Simulator. We played a game called The Cost, which is a game about the asbestos industry, and it was okay. But that alone wiped him out for uh, that day and the next day, so we won't be encouraging him to get back to work anytime soon. Uh, for anyone wondering about the rest of Team Shut Up and Sit Down, Ava has just received her second vaccination, and myself and Matt have our second jabs next month, so hopefully that will keep the rest of us nice and safe from the Delta variant of the pandemic, which, I don't know if you've heard, sucks real bad. Um, so, in lieu of a regular episode, we would like to present a chat that I had during the most recent Or Shucks, our online board game convention. Um, I love this. This is an edited version of the discussion I had with Michaela Gallucci, who hosts a Go YouTube channel under the name Incente. Michaela's a terrific teacher of Go, and just generally super smart on the subject of games. So we had a chat live on the Shut Up and Sit Down Twitch channel during the con, discussing how to teach complicated board games, and then at the back half of this podcast, you'll hear an impassioned chat with me and Michaela, discussing just some of the things that make Go a fascinating game. So, sit back, enjoy, and you can look forward to our regular podcast episodes returning next week. Uh, thank you very much. And if you want to leave a comment wishing Tom a speedy recovery, you can do that on this podcast on shutupandsitdown.com. Hello, everybody. I am so excited for this next panel. Uh, this could be the highlight of my weekend. I'm not sure. Um, Michaela, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. So uh, basically, I am a huge fan of Michaela because some of you folks last year might have seen uh, my review of Go, um, which turns out I had no idea. Literally no one in the board game scene told me, but Go, who knew, is amazing. Now, um, it's also excruciatingly difficult to learn. Um, and we're going to get into some of the reasons why that is. But uh, Michaela, uh, host of the YouTube channel, Incente, um, was my guiding light when learning Go. Uh, Michaela has just a, an absolutely phenomenal channel, not just because you're such a good teacher, Michaela, but because going through your channel as someone who's learning Go is a joy because you're just, you get to go shopping for what kind of a lesson you want. So yes, I could sit through the beginner lessons, but then if I had done some of them and I wanted to learn like a cool technique, there was a video for that. And then if I got annoyed that I sucked at Go, I got to go and watch a video with you talking about how you lost a game. You could walk <laughs> me through like your mistakes and things that you've gotten wrong. I thought you were such a fantastic teacher. And um, in this panel where we're talking about teaching complex board games, um, we wanted to have you on because 
if Go is the hardest board game to teach in the world and you're my favorite Go teacher, I think that's a pretty good case for you being the single greatest teacher of board games on YouTube. Is that true? I'm I dare not, not say. I, I'm not accountable to anybody. Those are just some words I said. You know, no one's gonna no one's gonna arrest me for saying them. It's just a hypothesis. Um, I mean, I feel such sort of softness and uh, open-heartedness on your channel for beginners. Um, and I guess that might, what I might be picking up on is if you scroll right back to the beginning of your channel, you can see that you're, you're a beginner and, and you're, we get to go on that journey with you, I suppose. Exactly. That's the whole reason I made it was because when I was starting Go, this was five, five years ago, six years ago, um, there were barely any resources really for, for beginner beginners. You know, a lot of the people that played Go were like really good and there were sequences and Josekis, but you couldn't make sense of them. Um, the first time I tried playing Go was on the Yahoo Go server. That was the first <laughs> place I tried and, and it was just a nightmare. And, and so I was like, oh, you know, I feel like there needs to be a little home on YouTube for people that don't have a great grasp on the game yet that that want to have fun even if they're not at that high level and can enjoy the game and so yeah, yeah, that's why I started it. And we will talk more about uh, Go a bit later um, because I, I'm going to find a way, I'm, by hook or by crook, I'm going to find a way to end our discussion on teaching complex games early so that you and I can just talk really passionately about how mind-blowingly beautiful and, and fascinating Go is. Such a good game. It, it, uh, good, yeah, it's, it's pretty good. It's a pretty good game. So to open up this discussion of how to teach complex games, uh, when you and I were, were preparing for this discussion, um, you made a point that I, would, I thought was absolutely fascinating, which is that Go, for all its complexity, actually represents a different challenge to teaching um, a lot of modern designer board games. Um, so would you like to talk a little bit about what you see as the difference between emergent complexity and the other kind of complexity that I forgot, that I wrote down, I'm prepared. Oh, I'm did prepared. I, what was it, inherent complexity? You, that's what you said. There it yeah. is in my notes. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, just playing Go, it was really interesting because Go is on the total opposite side of the spectrum than most complicated board games. So if you take your typical complicated board game, Scythe, like War of the Ring, like stuff where there's just a lot of rules and it's just a rule dump and there's just so much to try to keep straight. That's one thing. And so Go is what I call like emergent complexity. And so what, what's so cool about Go, and it's one of the oldest board games in the world, is because is they're really other than the rule of capturing, the rule of territory, and the rule of co. Those are like the three really rules of the game. And all of the rest of the complexities, sequences, opening Josekis, like fighting tactics, that comes out of the natural way the game is. That's not a set rule. You could play however you want. You could put the stone anywhere you want. But... That's that's a whole different challenge because whereas the inherent complex games, people are trying to like hack through like rules and like figure it out and there's all this structure imposed. Go is like you're adrift at like like at sea or something, and you're just like sailing and you're trying to figure out like, okay, I'm here. There's this giant grid, what do I do with it? Yeah. Um yeah. yeah it, it feels like being <laughs> dropped in an ocean and then just not knowing mm -hmm. what direction to swim, um, which yeah. is, well, which is why they uh, advise you learn Go on actually smaller boards because uh, otherwise you're, so I think I say in the review, so your brain doesn't dribble out of your ears. Um, <laughs> but while these two represent slightly different challenges, um, I, I would love to start by talking about... Um, one thing they do have in common, which is when you're teaching board games, something I think will be really useful for the people watching this to think of is it's it's a lot of it is a case of psychology. Um, and this this was a point that you made to me that I agree with. Um, 
But so from my perspective of teaching complicated board games, what I see, and, and there are parallels with this in Go, is the problem with teaching complex board games, first and foremost, is not that people cannot pass the rules. It's that people don't believe that they can pass the rules or that they don't want to pass the rules. Or that it's the, it's the notion that when someone sits down and they look at something, they feel, they feel frightened and overwhelmed in that moment. Mm-hmm. And I think, so I've got a quote from Mr. Rogers here. Uh, the, and uh, occasionally when I read Mr. Rogers quotes, I will just well up. So I'm going to make sure that doesn't happen this time because I'm going to be a stony pro. Mr. But, uh, but Mr. Rogers says, uh, the best said, the best teacher in the world is somebody who loves what he or she does and loves it in front of you. Um, mm. And that's something that I think I take into teaching, uh, that I take into teaching board games. And uh, I've sort of left this, what started as an open-ended question. I'm now just, I'm now just talking, but I'm going to keep talking. <laughs> no, like go off. Like, yeah, exactly. So I think actually maybe one of the most important things when teaching a game, if you're going to get a complicated board game, if you actually want to carry someone through to the end is to, is to be passionate and yeah. is to remind people in the teaching process why they're even doing this. Um, mm. You know, mm. so like, because if you are passionate, if you're getting people excited, if you're talking about the theme of a board game in my world, um, you're able to maintain their interest. You're able to maybe ho- hopefully get them excited. Yeah. Um, and some, some, one of the ways that I do that is by applying like little emotive sort of um, little hooks into the game. Like when I move on to teaching like another subsystem, I might say, okay, now this subsystem is really cool. This is really interesting. This drives me crazy because X, Y, Z. Yeah. Is this this something familiar? Yeah, uh, so much so. And and Go poses a number of, uh, I would say, I think unique challenges to each other board games because, because the learning curve is fairly high. You know, you need to understand how basically the stones flow, how to make solid groups, how to do that, you know, it's really hard to just sit someone new down and just have them play and, and really uncover like how much complexity and fun there is in the game before they've got some generic baseline Uh, in the go community. There's a, there's a adage, there's like a proverb um, called lose your first 100 games as fast as you can. And Mm. whenever someone posts in the go Reddit, like, Hey, I'm just starting out go. They're all just like, lose games. Just, just start go. Why are you, why are you here? Go play games, go lose. (laughs) (laughs) Like go lose them. And so um, that combined with the fact that in the West, not a lot of people know about Go. You know, it's fairly common uh, in, you know, countries like China, Japan, Korea, there's Go salons, there's there's Go places that you can play, Go clubs. Like, you really need to find those and find that community. And a lot of the community is online. And so when you combine a really abstract sort of high learning curve rule set with not a ton of people even knowing about this game, it's difficult to really get into it unless you have a really strong, welcoming online community yeah. to help bring people along and to make those connections, make Discord groups, make Go groups, like all those things. And it's just, and that's what I think I love the most about Go is that the community is very self. There's no marketing agency that's that's bringing new people into this game. There's no expansion mm. sets. There's no expansion packs. It's just there, and it's it's up to the people who love the game to just talk about how much they love it and yeah. and try to bring more people in. So, you know, yeah. I find that um, I I find that there's a ceiling on that. I think you're correct in that. Yeah. You know, I, I agree with everything you're saying, but I just uh, to be fair to the audience who might have trouble teaching complex games, um, it 
there are obstacles which are so hard to overcome. And, and for me, in my world, one of those things is um, when I sit people around a table and they're really new to board games, you know, it's, it's all well and good to, to be playing Go and say, you know, lose your first hundred games because I feel like anyone who sits down to play Go, I mean, it's Go. You can probably expect you're not going to be kicking ass like, you know, immediately. So you're yeah. probably willing to put in that time as like a, a, a journey and an apprentice and, and, get, mm-hmm. and get your ass beat. But even when I have someone who's new to board games and they sit at the table and we're like, okay, this isn't about winning or losing. We're just trying to have fun. I have found that within my world, I've seen people lock up and be nervous that they just don't belong at a table until they've won a game. And I think that's partially because, I mean, where go is head to head. So you're like, yeah, I'm going to lose. Of course, I'm going to lose. How else would I not? How, how would I beat somebody who's played this more? Board games that, are, that have more players, I find... Um, People just feel alienated until they've won something sometimes. Um, and it's yeah. it, it's like they need to win and only then they can kind of relax and, and then they can lose their first hundred games. It's really baked into like kind of, the, I think, just the culture of like people and just that like, you know, validation means like like winning. You know what I mean? But and, and I think that's that's part of what I think is really great about you know, trying to teach people complex games is trying to foster the journey mindset. Yes. Um, because if you, cause like, you know, it's essentially like a hazing ritual, right? If you're not having, if you're miserable for the first like 50 hours, you're playing this game and you're only doing it so you can be happy someday, <laughs> like when you win, like it's, you know, and so it's nice to try to foster that when you lose, you learn something. The way that yeah. games work, there's this fundamental way this game is working, and maybe it didn't work out for you, or maybe it worked for them, and just that sense of community, that sense of learning. And it's way easier said than done. I'm up here like, saying peace and love, and I, you you haven't seen me after I've had a losing streak at Go. Like, it is, <laughs> it's not pretty. Like, I could, you know, but it's a journey, and you keep trying your best. Uh, I, would, I would love for you to talk a bit about a point you made to me before, that um, to encourage new players to feel that they're experimenting, and to maybe have a goal that isn't winning um so games are obviously amazing and and very complex and every game is really different in the way that it's it's set up and there are fundamental parts about the game that make playing it better for someone who's good or like worse for somebody who's bad and so when you're a beginner and you're just trying to get a footing on the rules it really helps to try to narrow that space and be like okay like let's learn how this sub mechanic works and just just pick a mechanic you know if the game is really complex i'm just like you know there's resources or there's territory or there's a goal and victory points you know just pick one Mm -hmm. and just try to go in all and see what happens see what the other people are doing i thought that was no just for go we have like little sub games like that there's there's capture go in Go, there's like two parts. There's capturing stones and surrounding parts of the board to control it. And Capture Go says the first person to capture a single stone wins. And mm. that's the entire rule. And you start in a cross-cut center position and bleed out from there and just expand. And your goal is to capture something. It doesn't matter how. And territory doesn't matter. And that's a great way to teach new players groups and strength and how to attack. So Yeah. And yeah. I think the, the parallel for that in, in probably complicated board games is, um, whereas with Go, you can... T- okay, so there are funny little sort of variants that you can play that ignore some of the game and of course with go you can shrink the side of the board so it's all so the possibility space is smaller i feel like the parallel for that if you really want to teach someone complicated board games if you really want to get your you know your younger brother into you know um war War of the ring or whatever i feel like people aren't necessarily going to enjoy hearing it but the solution is to start smaller is the solution is not to go all in with war of the wing necessarily but to identify board games that represent 
chunks of that rule set that you can kind of break off a little bit. So if you want to teach someone, I don't know, some hefty Vital Lacerda worker placement game, then maybe the solution is to teach them a worker placement game beforehand. And I mentioned this in my video on, on how to teach board games, but specifically on how to teach complex board games, it might just be a case of you having to go away and figure out what are the component parts of that game. Mm-hmm. Um, or failing that, I think, yes, I think it's such a good idea when you're teaching a complicated board game to maybe say, you might not win, but hey, there's this, I don't know, like if you want to teach someone Vinhos, um, which is a, a Vitalist at a winemaking game that I really like, maybe you just say to them, like, this every few turns there will be a wine festival and everyone's wines are going to be judged. So what if in this game, you know, you just focus on beating us all at the, like having the best wine at that festival? Yeah. yeah, no, and I think that's actually a great second like tangential teaching tool for for a really key part that I think we talked about this earlier um, that is true for a lot of games. And that's uh, decisiveness and the role of decisiveness in, in a single mm. objective in efficiency, right? So a lot of times uh, in board games, there's many paths to victory, like Settlers of Catan, right? You can build longest road. You can just like go for the victory of the cards. You can abuse ports. You can make cities. Like there's a billion different ways. And a lot of times if someone's trying to do a lot, a little bit of everything, it's difficult to create that machinery that, that makes it efficient that it can build off of so that you can win. And so we see this in chess, we see this in go um, and any other, and a lot of other board games where a lot of, the efficiency comes from understanding what your game plan is and really working on being a master of that one like tactic and like and building off of that right and so yeah i think when you teach beginners tactics like that you're you're subconsciously teaching them like oh hey like consistency is really good decisiveness is good sometimes if you do too much of everything you don't get enough of anything that you want and then other players that can overtake you You know, I think what I'm finding really valuable hearing you talk about this is the way that in teaching Go, like all of your lessons and attitudes tend to be sort of this idea that you're building a foundation to make someone better at a game. And I feel Mm. like that's, uh, that's how you make people confident. That's how you make people feel that they really, they can sit in a game and and be comfortable and happy with what they're doing, um, Mm -hmm. that they're participating in it. And I feel like I'm wondering now if, if board gamers just have gotten into the trap of thinking that teaching a board game is as simple as teaching someone the rules. You don't want to teach someone War of the Ring. You want them to have fun playing War of the Ring. You want them to play War of the Ring a second time. No one wants to spend two hours teaching their friend War of the Ring to play it once and then never again. That's mad. So maybe board gamers in teaching complex games need to think less about how to teach someone the rules and more about just thinking, how do I make my friend comfortable playing this? And Mm-hmm. And I think that that then raises a very different question. And how do you make people comfortable then playing Go? Yeah, yeah. That's that's hard. It takes time. And it's hard to balance the whole, you got to just get a feel for it yourself. You know, there's only so much someone can show you or teach you. It's kind of, you have to get the feel of the stones, get the feel of the strategies yourself. Um, but I think that, you know, one of the best parts about Go for me is, and the point where I really started loving it, was where I got comfortable enough with the rules and the strategies to express myself. And that self-expression, I mean, I think that's the reason like Magic the Gathering is so great and like certain board games are so great because my other, I love Magic the Gathering too. And the color sets and the mm-hmm. different personalities of the different color combinations. Like I'm a total is it girl. Like I love like blue, red calculating, but also just like heating yourself into battle for no reason. <laughs> like I love, I love that contradiction and yeah. getting someone to a place where they can take the rules and take the strategies and figure out who, like based on who they are, how they like to play. Are they cold mm-hmm. and calculating? Are they reckless? Like, are they ag- aggro? Are they not like, 
and how to enable that expression on whatever mm. board game you're playing, I think is one of my, it's what I try to foster, I think, when I teach that's, people. Really. But that's that's yeah. that's also, that's really interesting then, because <laughs> it, it, it means that perhaps if if the real question, if you want to get someone playing complicated board games, mm. is to make them comfortable, if we've established that, and if then maybe and if one of the best ways to make someone comfortable is for them to see themselves in the game and in their play style. Mm. God, I'm, I'm remembering now. Um, my wife doesn't often play many board games, but occasionally she'll see me playing a really complicated one and will want to prove to herself that it's like, you know what, I can do this. And so she'll be like, "Teach me this one." I'm like, "This one, really?" Um, <laughs> but I remember, but she picked a game called Mage Wars, which is this preposterous. It's very it's similar to Magic: The Gathering, but it's like an arena battler. There's a board you run around. The most important thing about it is there's a plastic spell book that holds all the cards so you can fl- mm. like a, a miniature card binder that you flip through and then you cast spells oh that's it. that's cute I like that. it's incredibly cute it's yeah. that game i would i would be very happy to see it get a, a swish second edition um but but in that game as complicated as it was she chose the wizard that was the beast master and she was you know casting she was summoning beasts and telling me that i didn't understand being a true beast master and, and i'm only realizing talking to you now that that was one of the ways that she got her hooks into the game and was able to get through the teach and get through several mm. you know playing it several times because she was able to pick a part of it and be like this is mine yeah. you don't understand but this is mine this is my style this is my vibe like this is how yeah. i want to do this and it's I, important it's i really recognize important. myself in this part of the game yeah 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 so then maybe if you want to teach someone complex games, a good place to start would not be a, complex, a, a game that's, you know, more purely mathematical, but something with enough, uh, sort of ex- with enough freedom or enough storytelling yeah. or enough room for self-expression for a player to, uh, to find themselves comfortable in it. Yeah. And then from there, they explore. And then they learn more about the game mechanics and how they like to do it. They learn the weaknesses in their playing. Like the super aggressive players learn situations where they need to like take a chill pill calm mm. down and take a step and the more calculating like laid back players realize when they're being too timid and they're like oh like i think i need to nudge myself a little out of my comfort zone and like that's a place to build from and it mm. feels like you're growing not only in the game and getting better at the game but you're learning about ways to interact through the world you know as yeah. through this game that's how i yeah i think so you when we talk before and also when you're talking now um you you talk about this idea of um encouraging a love of uh, exploration and experimentation. Um, and I think that's so key to, I mean, everyone on Team Shut Up and Sit Down, will, when faced with a really heavy game, we will naturally be like, I'm going to focus on this. This is going to be my, this one area of the board, sometimes literally is going to be what I focus on and I'm okay. going to experiment with that and that's and I'm going to find joy in it. But how do we take, how do we, how do you foster a love of experimentation in a game where people will understandably be laser focused on just winning or losing? Yeah, that's a, that's a hard one. Um, and I feel like there's, there's ways to learn how to experiment in a more efficient way. Right. And then there's experimentation for experimentation's sake. So like, you know, you can maybe guide players say, oh, hey, like me, I noticed that you got a lot of resources here, but the way you use them, you never got to use everything you gathered because mm-hmm. your mach- the machinery for implement- implementing like these resources wasn't like built up enough. So maybe you can try experimenting and like backing off on that and like turning the lever up on this other sub mechanic of the game. Um, and there will be winners, and especially if players are all new, I'm sure there will be a, a collection of like different winners and losers, and they'll probably trade around a little bit. Um, I've definitely, when I've taught, sort of like 
eased up on, I, I've played purposely bad moves. And in Go, that's actually a very common thing is to play teaching games uh, with players who are worse than you. And a teaching game is where you play purposely bad moves to guide them towards the correct ones. Actually. Oh, that's fascinating. So yeah. you will do a move to make them see a more obvious move to like, can yeah. you, can you talk people through that a little bit more? Because I, yeah, that's, uh, yeah. it, I'm wondering now if, cause if I can, I've never thought of doing that when teaching a complex game to someone. Mm. No, I, I've thought about playing badly. I've thought about being like, oh, well, this, I, I don't want to just play as well as I can because then I'll demolish someone. So maybe yeah. I'll pick, a, I'll pick a weird strategy that I don't usually do, mm-hmm. but I've not thought about making moves that like deliberately open myself up. Yeah. So a great example of this and go is that you're, you're obviously you're trying for people that don't know all of the rules yet, you, you play stones on this grid and you're trying to control the board. Uh, the easiest place to start to control the board is the corners because there's boundaries there and you don't need to surround all four sides to control it. So you only need to surround two sides. So mathematically everyone starts in the corners Then they move to the sides, then they move to the center. The balance between snagging territory really early in the game and building up walls to control the center for the later stages of the game is a very complicated thing. There's people that are very territorial. There's people that are influential. So if I'm if I'm playing someone who traditionally I'm noticing isn't controlling the center of the board at all, is just like snagging territory, but I know that you know it's too imbalanced in one direction and they're going to be overwhelmed by my center strength later, I deliberately undercut their groups. I deliberately force them to play out sequences that make walls towards the center so they can use that later because there's there's variations that you can do with that and you can like guide them towards that and there is ways to make it interesting for the teacher too for example like i a skill and go is counting estimating the score and everyone says to do it and no one does it it's like that thing where it's (laughs) we always should everyone knows we should we should keep a pulse on the the score nobody does uh but it it helps me to count because i actually when i play a teaching game with someone i try to make it a tie game on purpose so I'm, uh, that's my challenge in the game is like, I'll count my points, their points, like, okay, so I'm, I'm 10 points ahead. How can I make them make a better move that sort of equalizes that? How do I like nudge them towards like this way, this way? And I try to get as close to an even score as I can. Um, so it's, it's fun. There's a lot of fun ways to go about it. <laughs> that's wild. Um, I, yeah. I just jumped back into our, our document of um, uh, little lessons that we were able to write down. And um, one thing that I remember I was talking about is um, this idea that they're actually not just teaching someone individual games, but that um, while games are all different, that there are some things that are true actually across multiple games and if and some useful lessons that you can just... If you think of it not like teaching someone a game, but teaching someone the principles of gaming. So like you touched on one earlier, which was this idea, which I've encountered before, where a lot of players won't notice, and I know this because I didn't notice it for years. If you, if when they finish a game, they look if you encourage them to look down at all the resources they have, you know, cards in hand or money or wood or whatever. Um, and anything they're still holding at the end of the game, and you encourage them to think of it's like well, you didn't use any of that, which means functionally all the turns where you acquired it were wasted. So if you, I mean, obviously this will be true to a greater or lesser extent in some games, but if you just like this idea of being, of playing efficiently so that you sort of gain everything you need and then use have used it all up by the end point of the game is something I think about in almost every board game I play. And mm-hmm. you had a good note here that I scribbled down is like just on your turn, can you do more than one thing? Mm-hmm. That comes up so much in Go. 
I mean, you see it in every game. Like, you know, like think about StarCraft. It's not a board game, but it's 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 a really intense, like, em- like real-time strategy. And they're using and gaining resources at exactly the same. They they don't waste a single thing in StarCraft. And in Go, it's kind of the same thing. Is the best players are players that make moves that do more than one thing. And not only does that make their play more efficient, but it makes them more flexible. Because a lot of times when I'm playing a stronger player, it feels like because I've played against really strong players and lost, you know, game after game after game. And every time I experiment and I switch something up, I'm like, okay, like I was too timid that game. I'm going to really attack. Or no, I was too territorial. I'm going to go really influential. I still lose. And so it feels like it's like a choose your own death game, really, where like no matter what you pick, you're going down. Yeah. And that's because they're so good at making multi-purpose moves that when someone goes and cuts off one of their options, they're like, oh, that's fine. I mean, the stone can do this too. And and they like they weave, they they like flow back into this other state. Um so yeah, me, it's so it's so important. <laughs> I remember the first time, yeah. No, this is this is a, a non sequitur, but the first time I made it past the the cut in a net runner tournament, which means you go into the knockout finals. Mm. And, you know, there's enough variance in card games that within my group of friends, you know, we would all, um, one of us would often make it in any given tournament. But I remember the first time I played against a player who was like capital G good. And I just, it, it was like, I don't know, like, you know, in like, um, sort of Indiana Jones, like just stone blocks falling down. But like, yeah. it's, there's a kind of, there's a, Playing it, the only reason I want people to do tournaments is not because I think tournaments are like, you know, you have to play games to be the best, but because it's so fascinating to play a game you love against someone who's truly good at it. Because it's like, it's it's just, it's awe-inspiring. It's like, it's... Especially like, it's, in a competitive setting. When like yeah. all the gates are off, like, mm, not like it. Yeah, yeah. No, it's yeah. it's it's absolutely <laughs> wild. Did you have any other sort of lessons or or, or notes or anything on on how do we teach complex board games yeah so i I was thinking about it after we talked and um just sort of like we're talking about like how like the strength of adaptability in playing the game i think that's important in teaching too because everyone has a completely different way of learning also some folks are extremely organized they like boxes they like making things make sense they like a very analytical like approach to anything and so and so it's it's important to to adjust your teaching to be more rigid and be like, okay, like here's some concrete rules. Here are some of the best paths to victory to follow. Mm-hmm. Like here's different strategies in a very concrete way. And others are just like, they're just they don't they don't want they don't want rules. They don't want <laughs> they don't. Yeah. And I'm one of those. Like I'm just like, please, please stop. Like I, I never read instruction manuals. I never I hate reading instruction manuals. And mm-hmm. so when someone's re- like explaining something to me or like the rules, I'm like, okay, like cool. Can we can we can we play something? And That's, so like. Yeah. <laughs> And like that type of person, it's it's really great to not try to bog them down with jargon and <sighs> yeah. and stuff too. And like I think that's a really important point. You know, that's something that's com- that's complete. I did a video on how to teach board games, but that is completely absent. Is the idea of um, you know, I presented it like as a teacher, you have to do A, B, C, D, E, F, mm-hmm. and if you do all these things, then you'll teach a game. And it's like I, nowhere in that video do I say think about who you're teaching like think about Mm. what style of teaching do they prefer because yes there can be very sort of like strict hard and fast rules in the way you describe or as you say you know people who just want to like play by learning (laughs) that's my wife just just (laughs) let her make mistakes as fast as possible and you'll be fine Mm -hmm. um but there's a third thing i think that's more common in board games than go of course which is some people i think i get what are they called in magic the gathering player archetypes the timmy the oh no the not timmy the the one that's like Balthazar, the like the the one who just cares about theme. Um, 
Oh, I don't remember. It doesn't I think matter. I know what you're talking about, though. It's, yeah. it's three normal names and then a stupid fantasy name. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, if you're teaching some board games, I find that what will help some people through uh, the teach of a complicated board game is if you go story first. And if you, you know, mm-hmm. if, if you really lean on, you know, these are your people and they will die if you don't do this. And then Dungeons and Dragons style. Yeah, just go with the evocative hook. And then you might get people to listen to you talk about uh, turn phases for 20 minutes. Spike. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Oh, no, Vorthos. Sorry. Yes, Vorthos. It's, <laughs> it's like Spike, Timmy, something in Vorthos, which always cracks me up. Uh, okay. Um, Oh, we've got a lot of questions about Go. Uh, oh, well, here's, a, here's an open question. Do you think it's important to keep a... This, sorry, this is from Mads Narrow. Do you think it's important to keep a bail slash abort option available for learners? Mm, so as in like, uh, I'm done with the instruction, I just want to go? I think, I, think, I think that question is more for... Um, no, that, no, sadly not. I think that question <laughs> refers to, um, I'm having a horrible time and I would like to leave the table. Oh, okay. Or, or perhaps, um, well, no, more re- more realistically, I'm ha- I'm very frustrated, and I think I want this to stop now. That's a real feeling. I've it's hard energy to deal with, right? Because sometimes it it spirals, and then they're they're making poor decisions because they're so frustrated, and then they get more frustrated because they've made poor decisions, and they're and they're kind of losing. And so, I think that as much as I love like, you know, persevering and looking on the bright side, there is a point where maybe it's best if they just take that step back, maybe they pull back and like they watch, or maybe they could be on a team with someone else. Like that's always possible too. Mm. Like they can sort of team up and, and, and like sacrifice their position, get someone else's and just like get their perspective on what to do. Um, yeah, I think that it's, I think that's okay. I don't think we should shame people for not having fun at a thing and want to stop, you know, because yeah. it's supposed to be fun and you're supposed to be there for fun. And if someone is just not, and they, they're self-aware enough to know that I'm just not feeling it right now, I'm too overwhelmed, I need to take a step back. I think that's actually a very like emotionally mature decision for them 100%. to get to. Uh, and and I the think idea we shouldn't shame them for it. The idea of like punishing them by like saying, "Oh, you've yeah. just opened you've opened yourself up and said you want to leave, and we're gonna say no." Like we're gonna like that's yeah. no, absolutely yeah. let people walk away because probably I, I dare say that if that's happened, that you've misjudged who you're teaching and what, and that's mm-hmm. and that fault probably lies with the teacher, maybe. Or maybe uh, when they're going through something else and they're just more stressed. You know, who knows? Who knows? Ab- but, absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, any recommend? Ooh, Oh, well, this is a, this may be one for me. Any recommendation for when you're in the middle of a teach and you can tell someone at the table isn't connecting? Um, that is, that's, that happens in board games, uh, probably mm. less so teaching Go because someone sat down to learn Go. Um, but yes, if you're, sat, if you're sat at a table, oh gosh, I've certainly been in that situation. You're teaching, you know, four or five people a game and you can, and then you can tell three people have light in their eyes and one person is just switched off. The pilot light's yeah. gone out. They, yeah. they regret signing up to this. Um, I, there's, I, I, it's super awkward. Um, it depends on the game. If it's a five, 10 minute game or a party game and you think you could push through it, maybe try and do that. But otherwise like, you know, give them, try and give them an out, try and maybe say, you know, like mm-hmm. if it was me, I might say, Oh, you know what? I think I've made, I might have misjudged this. I might have chosen the wrong game for this group. Um, yeah. I, I'm really sorry because, Oh, like it's tough. You don't want to single that player out. Right. And group dynamics also play a role, you know, like there's, you know, if you have a, a board game crew, right. Like me and my friends, like we're, we're, we're kind of birds of a feather. We both have a very like, like 
analytical, like strategic mind. Like as soon as we learn something, we're just like, okay, like this is how we can optimize this is where and like go. And sometimes if we, if we have someone new in the group that might just not be, they're just like, what is going on? And like, we know each other so well that we're playing off of each other and we're getting what each other's saying. And we're already like learning together. And then this person's kind of left behind. So it's important too. like, if you're bringing a new person in your group, your group will have very implicit ways of communicating and understanding that that person might not be privy to, which might also be part of the reason they're like feeling disconnected from, from the table. Uh, we, we've had a couple of questions that, uh, that, uh, that are sadly more go specific, uh, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull rank it. Uh, Ubu Queen asks, who is your favorite go player? Ooh. Ooh, favorite I love this because player? I have no stake in this, but presumably it's a, it's a very uh, tense and dramatic question for you. Yeah. I, I gotta go. I gotta go with, with, um, I gotta go with Chochi Kun. I gotta go Chochi Kun. He, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so you don't know that's that. why though. That's this is the rule. <laughs> so so in the professional circuit, Chochi Kun is like he's like the mad scientist of the pro world. He has this super frizzy, like untamed hair. He's super eccentric. He like mutters at the board, like he's talking to himself like while playing in these like very serious silent games. He will invade anywhere. He doesn't care. Very disrespectfully, I might add. He doesn't care where he's playing. <laughs> he would play the game that I went through once on stream where he let his opponent get this gigantic, huge, huge wall in this top center of the board. An insane amount. And I'm going through this game. I'm like, how how are you allowing this? Like, there's no way he has enough points. He just plops a stone right in the middle of it. And he's like, come at me. Like, come at me. And he lived. His group lived. He won the game. His opponent died. And I'm just like, you're a king. Holy Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> he just doesn't care. So, yeah. Well, uh, I, I, I really enjoyed you talking about that. So I'm going to, I'm just going to uh, let you talk about Go some more. Let's talk a bit about Go then uh, to round out uh, our hour together. Um, and let's start a discussion by maybe the a, a hu- the, the most seismic event in the Go world. So, um mm. Michaela, please jump in and yell if I get anything wrong. Uh, because I, but basically, um, for a while, uh, while chess was a game that was solved by AIs, um, people felt that Go would not be because the possibility space is so absolutely enormous um, that too the complex. Too, <laughs> it's just too complex. Go is just Dude, so much more complex than any other game. It's so complex, which is why it could never be solved. A stupid yeah. computer couldn't do it. It could solve a stupid child's game like chess, but Go. Anyway, then uh, then there was a huge leap forward in um, in Go AIs, which led to uh, AlphaGo. Uh, I, I believe the technical term, Michaela, is wiping the floor with. Uh, no, that's not what happened. But uh, but did demolish. Was it the world's best player of Go at the time? Yeah, one at least at all. One of the top players uh, in the world. And, and when was this? This, oh my gosh, this must have been, I want to say three years ago, mm-hmm. three or four years ago. Um, I remember watching the games, like it was 3 a.m. because it was it was in, uh, you know, the time zone, Korean time zone. And I was just like, oh my God. And it was crazy hearing everyone like in the Go world adapting. Like he lost his first game. They're like, oh, okay, that's a fluke. That's a total fluke. Like Lisa I was like, oh, I get it. I know what I did wrong. Like what when what players do when they're playing someone much better. They're like, oh, I'll do it this way. This will be better. <laughs> and so they played it again, thrashed again. And people are just like starting to look at each other and they're like, is this happening? Like, this is bad. And so the third game, you really, it was emotionally devastating for Lisa Dahl because he mm. lost again. And that was the best of five. And so he lost that that thing. And everyone's like, oh my God, this is it. Like, this is the end of Go's time as like unbeatable by computers. 
but our jokes aside, um, and I, I, I'm getting into uh, potentially very culturally sensitive uh, territory now, but I did uh, read a couple of pieces about how, you know, because of Go's cultural significance within mm. um, Japan and Korea, the idea that this game, which is kind of emblematic of something far bigger than just a game, would be kind of mastered by a, a, by a computer was w- led to a lot of very difficult feelings uh, within the Go community. And there was a wonderful article I read about the man who made the move for AlphaGo, that um, the, the person who would sit at the table and make the moves for him led to uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, paraphrase this, some feel bad moments for some for some Go masters because. The idea that just a, a, a schlub could sit at the table and make mm. moves and experience defeating uh, a master was was even in and of itself worthy of discussion. Yeah, and it's valid. I mean, that's so jokes aside. Like that was it's hard because Go has been this bastion of art, artistic strategy, and discovery. And every every pro, pro player had its own style and its own way of doing things. And pro players were like PhD students in their fields. Like they were continually coming up with new variations that might be better. They were studying new things that might be better. And so the thought that just the mystery and that search has ended almost, you know, there is, there is a thing that came out that, that no matter how far 2000 years we've evolved at playing this game, it was better, was hard to wrap your head around. I mean, from a, I can't imagine from a cultural standpoint, you know, cause I'm more or less an outsider learning the game for fun, you know, when I got older, but yeah, yeah, it was hard. Uh, so that was, that was a, a, a dark time for the community, but fast forward to now, um, what I find really thrilling is that this is not I mean, I don't know, but it doesn't seem to have dampened Go's kind of um, like the aura around the game and the culture at all. And in fact, I would love for you to talk about the AI's role in Go now, because you were saying that people are now, it's not, in a sense, this AI hasn't solved Go and rendered it pointless. And actually, it's made it richer because now people can study Go tactics that simply had never been seen before. So now there's a whole new avenue of learning opened up. Yes, there were corner sequences that were considered unthinkably unthinkable for someone to play that are now played commonly all the time because AlphaGo made it work. <laughs> and and it's and now it's sort of like I think it's made the game a lot more accessible too cuz people before people would have to rely on finding a teacher, finding an instructor, you know, and and one-on-one teaching I always think is a, a wonderful thing and everyone should do it. But but there's a, there's an accessibility gap that I think got jumped now because anyone can have a mentor. Anyone can understand or try to tease apart the mysteries of the game from this AI. Um, mm. And then it's it's changed it's changed Joseki. It's changed the way the pros study now. Pros study AI moves and try to learn these tactics and experiment with them. And it's still growing. And it's still and it's amazing. After over two thousand years of play, we are still seeing meta. There is a meta in Go. It's over 2,000 years old, but it's still, <laughs> there's a meta. And I it's would, wild. Okay, so I saw someone saying in Twitch, uh, or even maybe suggesting that there should be a shut up and sit down Go learning group. Um, uh, oh, I'd love that. Oh, you awesome. guys, I, I don't think, I think I can, yeah, I think I can speak for both of us that nothing would make the two of us happier. Um, for the love of God, please organize that in chat while we're having this because that would make me so happy. But so let's let's try and get people a little bit excited to do that um, because, of course, I did a whole review that you can watch on Shut Up and Sit Down's YouTube channel. Incente has a whole channel, tons and tons of really fun, really enthusiastic beginner-focused content. Um, but hey, you and I are here right now. Um, I, I oh goodness, how do you even? How do I know I've done it once already, so this is embarrassing, but how do you explain why Go is something that gets the two of us so excited 
as people yeah. who play a lot of games. Oh, I've, I've, it's like, I've like, when I introduce my friends to Go, it's like I craft like a pitch. I'm like, okay, like here's, mm. here's why you should do it. Cause you know, it's, it's a hard sell sometimes for people, but like, I really like it because it is so on the, it is so simple at face value. Yeah. It feels like you tease apart kind of the way that everything works when you learn it. And it sounds like a really weird thing, but, you know, traditionally Go was used by and studied by war generals and businessmen and, and people that were learning how to, how to deal with power structures and game theory in the real world. Um, the, the concept of if you want to try to attack something, sometimes not punching it right away. Sometimes surrounding it from a distance is the best way to do this. Uh, Genghis Khan actually, you know, has a lot of adages and proverbs that I was reading Genghis Khan's The Art of War and was like, oh my God, Go has like a lot of these strategies that you can like, like transfer. Okay, okay. Um, Which is like so cool. And it's just, it's always there to explore. It's just, it feels like this like very consistent entity that is full of exploration and and endless that you can just dive into. It feels like um, I, I, I'm torn between say, uh, that that the what, how, how many spaces is, is the full size go board? Three sixty one. those three hundred and sixty one yeah. spaces on a full size go board feel to me like a, a blank map or something. Um, and it, like there's it, it starts off and there's literally nothing there. You know, most board games yeah. is like, well, you know, there's this feature here and over on this side of the board. Go is like there's nothing. There is only what you do and what you leave mm-hmm. on it, which means that well, two things, I guess, that kind of are the same thing, but I, but it's because I'm using words which are imperfect. Like I have to describe it as two things. Mm-hmm. You're you're journeying around it. You, that you you're building a landscape at the same time. So you're kind of drawing the map, but also it's it's not quite a landscape because what you're leaving is almost is what you're leaving behind is is you. It's very you leave all of yourself on the board. Like if you go and you you get into a fight with the other player and you lose and some stones get captured, that's you creating like a wall and a and a mountain range or whatever. But it's also it's it's a fr- it's a it's a it's a literal frustration that you leave behind on the board and you go and do something else. And then you might be winning something else, but then it links up with the frustration from before. And it's like, it's yeah. it's an emotional landscape that you're painting. Absolutely. Your mind state really affects what you see, how you play. You know, uh, you can tell when someone's having a really bad day because they are playing. <laughs> you can just tell. You're just like, oh, wow, like what happened? <laughs> Sweetie, do you need to talk about something like it? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, it's, it's amazing. It's magnificent. Yeah. And um, it's so... It's, I, I think I touched on this maybe a bit in the video, but it so fascinates me how Go is... The the space of a Go board is big enough that it, it, it frequently feels like... And you use this language in your own videos, that it's like multiple games. It's multiple conflicts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and yet it's this mind-expanding thing, which I can't remember seeing in many other board games, where you could be playing like... There could be a fight in one corner of the board and another fight you're having in another corner of the board. And the way that those are two completely discrete elements... They get bigger and bigger and bigger, and then they're one thing. Yeah. And that moment of of disparate elements of the board connecting and suddenly becoming one element is like, mm-hmm. it's like the galaxy brain meme. It's yeah. like, and it's, it gets so much deeper. Like learning how one stone off, one point away from. A oh certain my thing god! Do you want to talk this... about the 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 three to four the difference between placing a stone? You've got one of your stones. Do you want to explain why placing something exactly three spaces away is so different to four spaces away? Oh my gosh, I could talk for hours about that. It's 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 a matter of connectivity. There's there's separation sequences that are different for three versus four spaces. You can arguably say that four apart is not really as connected as three. Three you mm. could still but like 
if someone tries to split a three stone connection, there's like a different exchange and two spaces is more tight. Four is like really far away. It's, Oh, I could go for I could go forever. It's a whole thing. Um, but before we uh, before we say goodbye, I think you wanted to talk a bit just about like a kind of a, a thank you about how how kind and good the Go community has been to you on on kind of the journey that you've been on uh, with your channel and with your experience with the game as well. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to talk about. I mean, one of the re- I mean, Go is a great game, but I think for me, the community that was built around Go is is one of my favorite reasons for playing it. Um, for anyone new that that comes into my channel and starts seeing my videos, um, I, I'm actually trans and I transitioned in the middle of my YouTube experience. I started making videos. I realized that a lot of stuff that I had to deal with. I dealt with it, transitioned, and and uh, now, now I'm here, and I'm so glad that I did. But when I did transition, I um, I was going to quit it, quit the YouTube channel because I just, you, you know how it is online sometimes for trans people. And like I just didn't know. I had no clue what to expect. And I made my video coming back saying like, hey, everyone, like I ended up, you know, my name has changed. I did this whole thing. Uh, I really want to keep teaching Go. Like I want to keep providing for the community because I spent so much time and, and the wealth of responses and positive support that I got from, I was crying reading it. And I was like, this is what I always thought. And, and it kept me going. And now I'm making, I think, some of the best videos I've ever made, really. Oh, for sure. I'm I'm loving my content and I'm loving staying here. And it's just been one of the greatest communities for just learning about this game together all over the world, no matter who you are, no matter what you do. And I I can't thank the community enough, really, for everything that they've given me and what I've been able to give them. So I I just want to thank everyone. (laughs) That's such a great story. And it's so nice because I think, you know, so many trans people's experience, especially in games and especially, you know, video games or even tabletop has been, you know, far less than ideal. And it's so nice to not only discover that Go is this, this, this game that's been around forever, but is, is still unquestionably worth playing and absolutely mm-hmm. one of the greatest games ever made but th- this little corner of games that's been around for so long the people playing it are actually they're not necessarily as toxic as parts of games that we've seen and oh yeah it's so and i think wonderful. part of it lends it to its like nicheness you know there's so few of us here it's just there's a real sense of camaraderie too but i think even as we expand and you know try more people learn go i think really making sure that you know we represent the game well I think that's really mm-hmm. important too, you know, because it's all about that community and that's why I love so much about it. So, I mean, I would die happy if, I mean, we got the Queen's Gambit and that's obviously <laughs> caused a huge resurgence of interest yeah, in chess. If yeah. Netflix could just make a super sexy, druggy oh, go so drama. Oh, so I mean, you know, from, it would be so good. Um, <laughs> Michaela, you've been absolutely fantastic. This has been a wonderful talk. This has been a real highlight of the con for me so far. If Twitch chat could just give a huge, huge thank you to Michaela and way more importantly, uh, go and see what the fuss is about and on uh, Michaela's YouTube channel. It's in Sente, so you can see that. Mm-hmm. Go and give this woman a subscribe, click on some random up thumbs, just have some fun. And also see, because I'm, I'm in awe of this, go and see how many ways Michaela has found to teach Go because there's such a wealth of creativity. It like I would not have dreamed that you could do so many fun things with exactly the same board game. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody. Tuning in. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you so much. Goodbye.